Gen X Playback, episode number 18. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the largest podcast in Nesville, Pennsylvania. It's the Gen X Playback Show, starring us, the Brothers High. I am Scott. And I am Sean. And together we reminisce about the best days in the years in which we grew up, that being the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Broadcasting to nine countries worldwide and 31 states, including the District of Columbia, in the good old U.S. of A., and we would like to welcome, for the first time, in the home of Neil Finn, lead singer of Crowded House, Auckland, New Zealand. So welcome, Auckland, New Zealand, to the Gen X Playback Show. Welcome to our little family. Hopefully, you'll enjoy uh, enjoy our show. So there you go, Sean. There's your surprise for the week. Uh, well, you know, right before we went on air, I, I said to Scott that I enjoy... Having being surprised by our intro and, and having different music, and as soon as I heard Crowded House, I thought, Ah, New Zealand, we must have had New Zealand. Well, you know, it's Split Ends was Neil's first group, uh-huh. and they were they were formed in New Zealand. And I went and did some little background on on Crowded House, and they were actually formed in Australia, so it's a mixture between New Zealand and Australian band members. Uh, but certainly, Neil Finn was was from you know the great country of New Zealand. And a little side note: one of my coworkers that I used to work with, his daughter actually did a semester of school on a study abroad down in New Zealand, and she said that New Zealand was one of the most beautiful countries she's ever been to. Oh, great! I mean, it, it's definitely uh, one of those countries that is on my must-see kind of bucket list of places to go to. So, as I say all the time, we'll have to have a meetup. Sean mentioned in our last episode a couple of times about how we used to work at a water slide. And that song, Something So Strong, is one of the more defining songs of my time at that water slide working there as a summer job. It just seemed like that entire summer that this song was played all over the place. And one of the things that we had the opportunity to do was listen to the radio at the water slide they used to play it out in the pa speakers and it was pretty cool that that summer of i believe it was 87 Mm -hmm. that it was a very popular very popular song we got to hear it all the time yeah and you know i i guess that's always for me it's always been a testament of a great song if it could go through an entire summer of us listening to it over and over and over again and i still enjoy it to this day because scott's not kidding you know when he has talked about in the past that you know we heard the same 20 songs over and over and over again out of WC, wcu out of philadelphia and you know there's some songs that were really popular that i liked at the beginning of the summer that i hate to this day <laughs> uh, i'm not gonna lie but there's other songs i still like so I, I don't know why that is why some have stood the test of time for me but uh, that's one of them i still like that song yeah it's got you know i always use the word durability and that's a very durable song it's just it doesn't really seem to get old as often as it gets played in the retrospective or the the you know radio stations that will do like flashbacks or whatever mm-hmm. and i think that they um uh, crowded house is one of those uh, sort of underrated bands that had a nice little one or two year run in right. the united states yeah uh, so yeah 
Definitely. All right. So that's, um, you know, little, little tribute out there to our, our listeners in, in New Zealand. So New Zealand. So hopefully, um, what we're going to now talk about is of interest, um, to, you know, our new listeners that we have and everybody else has been along for a while. So I kind of, you know, talked about it at the end of last episode. So this is my week. And what I have kind of decided to talk about is commercials. And it's a way of kind of combining uh, the music that, you know, we we talk about how we, we love and, and also with some pop culture with music. Because, you know, right now in the United States, we are um, pretty close to the Super Bowl. We're a little more than a week away from the Super Bowl. And when we are recording in the February of 2023, our beloved Philadelphia Eagles are going to be playing in the Super Bowl. And one of the biggest parts of the Super Bowl here is the commercials. Yes, definitely. Uh, commercials in the Super Bowl have been synonymous probably for the last maybe 30 years, if right. not more. Right, right. So it, it's a time where, you know, having Super Bowl parties where you sit around and you watch the game, and if your team's not in it, you probably, you know, if so, if you're like Scott and I, I mean, we're we're hardcore football fans, so you know, we're into the game regardless of who's playing. But there's a lot of people that will show up to Super Bowl parties, and it's for the party, and they really are interested in the commercials. So what we're going to talk about um, uh, in this episode, not necessarily commercials that appeared at the Super Bowl, although I think there's some that'll be on the list, you know, that were premiered then. But it's songs that were, um, you know, they, these could have been Gen X songs, that, so they could have been recorded during the Gen X era that, you know, aired, they could air in right now in the, you know, 2020s, or they could have been songs that maybe they were from the 40s, 50s, 60s that happened to air during the Gen X period. When was the first time you remember music being incorporated and i mean music i mean actually hit songs performed by the artist in tv commercials when is there one that stands out to you that you can remember for the very first time um well i mean it, there's one that's it's gonna, gonna be, be on your list, list. okay it's, all right but you know I'll, I'll throw it out there so the one where i really became aware of it would have been michael jackson okay you know for his pepsi commercial which is for billy jean mm-hmm. and you know it's the you know he changes the words a little bit but it's where alfonso riviera is is dancing is the little michael jackson impersonator and that was like 1984 and that's the first time that i really was aware of it up until that point for me 70s tv commercials were all about people creating their own jingle sure Uh, you could go back to anything from i caught myself singing the Luden's cough drop commercial. <laughs> How'd that one go? Uh, you can, you can have great taste, great tasting taste with Luden's. Okay, and, and it's the guy dancing around this yeah, newsstand. Yeah. Remember right. that? Yeah, I do. There's just a lot of uh, I. If I could teach the world to sing in perfect harmony, if I could buy the world. A so coach. that's not on your list. It's not. See, I know. thought I thought that might be. So now that was some. That was a song. You know, obviously the Coke. Mm-hmm. You know, song, and I. I mean, it became a hit. Because of the commercial. Because of the commercial. And did you ever watch the TV show Mad Men? Were you ever uh, into that I mean, show? I, I've, I saw like the, the pilot episode. And that okay. Was about it. So John Hamm's character at the very, very end of this show writes that commercial. And okay. it's like the defining greatest commercial ever made. So 
I just thought that that was that they tied that into the show at the very end, which was pretty cool. Right. So now that was the case of a jingle, probably, you know, mm-hmm. kind of becoming a hit. Well, what we're talking about tonight and what Scott's kind of referencing is that in about the 80s, you start to have hit songs that are now being used in the commercials and not just hit songs that are being tweaked. It, it, because the, an example here, and I don't know if this is on your list, mm-hmm. but there was a song that, all right, so here's one of the first things I ever thought of as a kid that I really remember, and it was the Sunkiss, um, you know, the soda commercials for the, you know, Sunkiss Orange Soda, and it was to the Beach Boys Good Vibrations, mm-hmm. right? So, but they totally changed the words, and they weren't, and it wasn't the Beach Boys singing. I think I'm showing it is on my list. All right, it, is I, it was. List. It was an honorable mention. Okay. Because, and I'll go kind of go through my criteria of like how I came up with my list. I tried to keep it small because this is. Uh, I kind of wanted to let you run with this particular episode, but yeah, this was on my honorable mention because even though the commercial came out in the '80s, it was a it was a '60s song. So for me, I kind of moved it away from from a uh, from a Gen X commercial. And I, this one. You know, I, I went on to YouTube, and, and I don't know how accurate it is for whoever posted the video, but they had listed 1979 as one of the earlier episode or earlier commercials. Yeah. This, to me, this is, for me, this is the first song that I remember being played on the radio right. that I heard in a TV commercial. This was the one, first one for me. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is the one. I mean, yeah. th- and that's why it actually is, I have it on here as an honorable mention on yeah. my list as well. Okay. Well, we got our first honorable mention out of the way, but yeah, I, I agree with the, and I think MTV had a lot to do with it as well mm-hmm. because I think uh, advertisers started to see the power of music and just who was buying their products. Obviously, you're a soda company. You have, you're selling, it's a sugary drink. You're trying to hit a certain age group. Well, what's the best way to do that than with popular music? You know, that's going to grab a kid's attention. And then kids, just like we talked about with cartoons and the commercials that were run during cartoons, the kid didn't have the money, but the parents did, and right. the kid could talk the parents into into purchasing. And you'll see that a lot with specific types. And I was sort of drawn to, and I'll just kind of tip my cap here, or tip my hand, that I was drawn to a lot of car commercial ads that had music in mm-hmm. it. So for me, those were always the ones that were like, wow, because hey, I like the shiny new cars kind of thing. So that was that was something that stood out to me. Okay. Well, why don't you get into your list? Okay. Well, I have I have eleven on my list, eleven total. No, that's not counting your honorable mention. Not counting my honorable okay. mention. So what I'll do is I'll I'll do it the way because I like the way you do it. You kind of run uh, down to number two, and then you do your honorable mention. Yeah. And then you do number one. So I'll do the same thing because I, I I do like the way that 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 works. So my number eleven is uh, was it was a really big song back in the nineteen seventies, and. This was an ad campaign done by Buick uh, with you know GM cars. And of course, this is the Aerosmith song Dream On. We'll go down here to There we go. This is what you hear on the commercial, right? So this is when Buick was trying to kind of redo their image. 
Buicks were always known as kind of the old person's car for right. a long, long time. Right. They were known as great running cars, but as far as trying to market to somebody in maybe their 20s or 30s or even their 40s, yeah, there's not too many people that want to get that sensible car at that young of an age. When didn't they have the campaign? It's not your father's Buick, isn't? Or Oldsmobile. Oldsmobile, yeah. yeah. So, they, but they were similar. I mean, I, I remember at least my perspective on Buick and Oldsmobile was it was you know kind of a, a you know a dad car. You know, it, it it was something where I I remember you know somebody that that we know um, you know went to high school with became a real estate agent that that's the car that he got. And he said that that's kind of why he he got it was because it was a nice car. It was considered a you know fa- you know not a fancy car, but it was cons- very professional, very nice car. But it wasn't flashy, right? Yeah. And so Buick was trying to they, they they started to have people market like Tiger Woods was marketing Buick when they when they re- redid their uh, style. There was. Uh, Peyton Manning was also a spokesman for Buick. Well, no, no nobody's hipper than Peyton Manning. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what, what what year would that have been that they had that campaign? With that would have been you're probably talking early 2010s. Okay. So we're we're talking about 10 years ago, maybe. Okay. Even even maybe slightly before that. So that was uh, the Dream On campaign. The band was Aerosmith, and the ad was for Buick. So my number 10. We're going into office supplies. It wasn't, but it's just funny that this this ad campaign still still goes on to this day. This would be the Alfman Turner Overdrive. Yep, and this is for Office Depot. Yeah, they take care of business for you. But it's just it's something that they've stuck with for a long, long time. Office, yeah, this is Office Max, I'm sorry, Office Max. Office Depot will come a little bit later. Okay. So, um, but yeah, Bachman Turner Overdrive, very famous song. This is their defining song for this band. Didn't Homer Simpson yell that out? Uh, Over and over again. uh, Yeah. Mr. Simpson, we've already played it five times. We want to play something off of our new album. And he booed them. Right. uh, BTL was was a big deal kind of before we got into music but yet this is a song that still gets played 50 years after it was released right yeah it, it this is a song that as kids we heard on the radio you know it, it was obviously pre-mtv uh, you know we talk about those bands that weren't necessarily you know constructed for an mtv audience that you know bto was one of them you know they they were kind of burly canadian guys with beards and you know they they weren't the uh, the pretty boys that you know like the duran durans that later rule the airwaves but they were one of those pre mtv bands that sort of rolled outdoor venues mm-hmm. and there was a group of artists bands rock bands that were known to do these summer tours where you're playing outside it wasn't an arena tour it was it was you know whether it was grandstands or the state fairs yeah pretty much yeah. Uh, york fair kind of thing mm-hmm. where you can hold it, it'll seat 10 11,000 people if it's if it's at capacity which is a it's a good sized crowd yeah and so so Bachman Turner Overdrive they had uh, what they had a nice nice little 10 year run in the 70s before before the days of MTV but this this song still gets played to this day 
and was the occasional wedding song request that I would get in my wedding DJ days as well. Taking care of business. Believe it or not. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of times the parents uh, of the bride and groom. Now, you have to remember, Gen Xers, when I started being a wedding DJ, that was 1996. So people that were getting married were usually a little bit either my age or older. And then they became my age and a little bit younger. And then they became a little bit older than my kids. Then they became the same age as my kids. And then they became younger than my kids. Mm -hmm. And that's when you know it's time to get out. (laughs) So uh, I retired from, uh, semi-retired from being a wedding DJ. So that was number 10, taking care of business, Bachman Turner Overdrive. Number nine is one of my favorite wedding songs, believe it or not, of all time. And this has been a long, ongoing uh, ad campaign for Coors. Sure, okay, absolutely. So this is a beer ad. Yeah. And you can just picture the Coors train on the TV commercial. And this is the OJs? This is the OJs and Love Train. Just one of those fun, light, happy songs. If you're going to have a summer barbecue, if you're going to go out, if you're going to have a couple of brews with your friends, this would be a great song to have on in the background. And I think it was a great act campaign for Coors. Right. And, and and I like the fact that you kind of embraced, you know, the full spectrum of what I wanted to do with this episode, where it's not just 80s songs, but it's, you know, things from the 70s, because we are talking 70s, 80s, and 90s. And once again, I remember this song as a little kid. Yeah. And this is one of those songs that unfortunately got kind of tied in with the, the whole disco, whether it was you could look at it positively or negatively but it kind of got that that disco kind of scent on it yeah but this was kind of before disco it really was and disco you know we what did we establish the timeline 77 through 79 basically yeah and this would have been what 75 76 about 75 okay yeah 1975 and that was the i guess you could say with it being in the 70s and getting tied to disco, you're seeing a lot of these 70s songs making a comeback. Mm-hmm. People no longer think of disco or 70s music in a negative way. Kind of when we talked about last week with Yacht Rock. Yeah. And, and that it gets made fun of. 80s music got made fun of in the early 90s. I mean, grunge absolutely uh, ridiculed uh, heavy metal from the 80s. Mm-hmm. But now here it is again. It's it's made it's made its comeback. I think you know seventies no different. Good music holds up, and that that's a good song. I mean, I that is, you know, brings back memories to me of the uh, the bicentennial year of nineteen seventy six. With you know, with us being so close to Philadelphia, there was a lot of um, you know. Uh, events and you know, I remember watching things on TV, and you know, that's kind of while that isn't necessarily. 100% the sound of Philadelphia is pretty close. It, it, it definitely sure. has that. Well, they uh, the OJs have, have certain Philadelphia ties right. with Gamble and Huff. So sure, right. You're absolutely right there. So that was my number nine. Number eight is another car. So we're going to see if you can guess what the, uh, the car is. Well, this is the Who, Eminence Front, correct? And at that point, I am going to bow out. 
because I don't know which car commercial this is. At this point, the announcer goes, this is GMC professional grade. This was the ad campaign that came out with uh, GMC about, I'd say about six, seven years ago. Okay. So they wanted to enhance the image of their SUVs and pickup trucks Mm -hmm. because GMCs are pretty well stocked in the inside. And to me, this is, uh, you know, the backdrop of the commercial itself is dark outside. They're dressed up nicely like they're going out for a night out on the town. They're not just going to, you know, your corner bar. They're going, looks like they're going to someplace expensive. Right. So what better way to go than to do it driving a GMC? And you pull out a Who song. And this song, this could have been what, like late 70s? It was, yeah. I think it was 79, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right around 79, 80, 81 in that time frame. Right. So, um, but I thought it was it was pretty cool that they were, you're trying to hit a demographic. You're trying to reach, it's almost like they're playing to an age group, depending on the song that they're playing. You know so wait, when was this ad out, roughly? Mid, mid 2010s, okay. like 2015. So when you're talking about the age group, you know, it's people probably... Uh, our age a little bit older. That's what I would guess. Yeah. And that have, you know, so a disposable, you know, better disposable income at that point. Correct. So you have there, if you're, you know, kind of, you know, um, trying to push the, uh, the nice night out on the town. Sure. Yeah. And that was uh, Eminence Front by The Who. And that was for GMC, which came out in the uh, 2010s. My number seven is perhaps my favorite song by this particular band. Sean knows who the group is. Of course, it's ELO, Electric Light Orchestra with Jeff Lynne. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the ad campaign? I don't. Probably not. Okay. No. This is for Kohl's. Kohl's Department Store. Okay. And uh, ELO is a, a band that Sean and I heard emanating out of the bedroom <laughs> of our sister when she yeah. would lock herself in the room. But this is really one of the first groups that I ever remember sort of paying attention to as a kid. Yeah. Based on what Laura used to play with her records. Yeah. And that, you know, it's it's interesting that, you know, you and I have gone in a total different direction with the the commercials that we picked. And I'm glad for that because I was afraid there'd be some overlap. And, you know, I like the fact that, you know advertisers they do reach back and and pull out music it, and i think there was there was a long time where kind of that music from the 70s the, the kind of music you're playing right now was not was definitely looked down on and it's you know once again it's the, it was the pop music of the day and it, it definitely um whether it's nostalgia or, or what the reason is why the uh, the advertisers kind of go back because I think with a lot of the music that or the commercials I'm going to pick, they were from the time when they happened, and you're kind of using popular music of that time to sell a product. And here you're kind of reaching back and going for more than nostalgia. Sure, and um, again, it's uh, you know they're trying to hit a demographic, and by doing so, what better way to make the shoppers more interested in your product? Than throwing something out there that they 
that you think they might enjoy right. in terms of musically. So. I, although I don't know how effective the ad campaigns are if I haven't come up with with any of the uh, of the products. <laughs> but oh well. Well, you got. I think you got the one right. Um, the love train, right? Cores. Yeah, yeah. You I got that. I, one. I, I did get that one. Okay. All right. So that was my number seven, which is uh, Electric Light Orchestra for Coles. This next one was a commercial run for Miller Light. So we're going back to beer, and you'll recognize this song. Of course, this is Thin Lizzy. The boys are back in town. Yeah, they actually. Miller Lite used them a couple of times, they, and I wasn't sure which song to use. I personally like the song Jailbreak yeah, better. Yeah, so do but I. And they also used that for Miller Lite as well. Well, I, I can see this because, you know, you're, you're getting together with your friends, the boys are back, and we're going to go hang out. Absolutely, and I think that's a, it's a fun, fun way to grab somebody's attention. And advertisers, you can you can say the best advertisers out there are the ones that pay particular attention. Mm-hmm. Sort of what's on the pulse at the time. Did we not take a psychology class, Sean, where the they spoke about one of the kind of the preeminent early psychologists in the early 20th century? Was it, did he not leave and get into advertising? He did. Was it Skinner? I think it was B.M. Skinner. B.M. Skinner, B. Yeah. Skinner. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's the same thing. You're, when it comes to advertising, you're you're looking to manipulate. Now, that's a negative connotation, manipulate, but that's that's what you're trying to do because you're trying to cause someone to have a reaction, in this case, reaction going out and buying some Miller beer. Right. Absolutely. And to me, the it's a fun song, and they're associating a fun song with a product that they want people to think that they could have fun with. Sure. So that was my number six, which is The Boys Are Back in Town, Thin Lizzy, and that was Miller Lite. The next one is Planner's Peanuts. So I'll give you the ad campaign okay. right away. See if you can remember watching Mr. Peanut dance around to this particular <laughs> no, song. I do. All right. Sure, I remember this. To the Bay City Rollers. That's right. So Another album that our sister played. You know... The movie, So I Married an Axe Murderer, yeah. which uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, Mike Myers, not, it was actually on cable TV the, not too long ago, which I was glad I was able to watch it again. But probably the best part of the movie is when he's in character as his father. And the very opening scene when he goes to, to their house, and this is playing in the background, and mom and dad are both dancing. And well, they're Scottish. When, when Charlie, Charlie comes in. Turn off the Bay City Rollers! And it's just something, it's a very memorable scene in the movie. But this is for Mr. Peanut and Planner's Peanuts. This is my number five, Saturday Night by the Bay City Rollers. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I forgot about that ad campaign, and I would not have come up with Planner's, but since you gave it to me first, yeah, sure, I remember that. All right, so this is the other office store, my number four, and... I chose this because it is one of my favorite songs of the 1970s, if not my favorite song of the 1970s. Since you see, Sean, there's a lot of 70s influence I in, that. in my commercials. Of course, we're talking about the rubber band man by the spinners. Right. Getting that Philly soul 
find that Philly sound influence here with, with the spinners. So this is, of course, for uh, Office Max, not Office Depot. Okay. And uh, Office Max, because uh, the, the song has rubber band in it, so why not put it in your ad campaign for your office product store? Brilliant. It's brilliant. <laughs> so that is uh, my number four. All right. Okay. And I, I kind of remember that. A lot of these, like I said, not so much in the direction of the ad campaign itself. Because a lot of those, for me, are going to hit my honorable mention. I still have a couple more to give for uh, honorable mention. Okay. Those are really memorable in terms of the ad campaigns that, that I remember. Uh, whereas where these were Gen X songs that I really liked. Mm-hmm. And whenever you hear something that you really like in a commercial, it kind of draws your attention to it. Right. So. All right. So that was my number four, The Rubber Band Man by The Spinners. Number three was a big ad campaign by Apple for the iPhone when I think it was Ah, iPhone. See, I do remember this. I think it was iPhone 10. This is ACDC's Thunderstruck. Yep. So this would have been probably at least 12, 13, 14 years ago when when this came out. Mm -hmm. Big ad campaign. This one really stood out. It's gonna jump in here and right now. And of course, this is played at every arena, every stadium, every ballpark across the country. Do you think this is ACDC's best song? I don't think it's their best song. Most memorable? Well, I mean, I, you know, some people probably would say "Back in Black" is probably their signature song, but this is up there. I mean, it's it's definitely. Uh, a, a stadium staple for them because they, they play stadiums now. And this is a song that has really held up. It's yeah. held up extremely mm-hmm. well. So uh, this was released in... Like 1990? I would say 1990, yeah. Yeah, this was off the uh, Razor's Edge album. Right. Yeah. Yep. Razor's this was their, kind of their comeback album. And I do remember, we're talking over 30 years ago, and yet it still is probably their most played song that they have that and you shook me on all night long yeah yeah would, would probably be the uh you know the two most most played acdc songs so that was for iphone and again that came out probably about 14 years ago my number two is one of the most memorable for me just based on and again we're going back to cars here so this is going to be for cadillac and this is the Cadillac Escalade. Oh, I remember this one. Sure. Led Zeppelin. Now, this one I remember. I thought if you're going to play a, a rockin' song that has, you, almost, you can almost feel yourself moving. This sounds like the kind of song that you would play in the car. Sure. You want to go fast. And this is, again, like Buick, where they use the Aerosmith, where they're trying to change their image a little bit. Cadillac was always known as your, kind of your grandpa's car. Yeah, but the people that grew up with Led Zeppelin are now grandpas. And what better way to, to change, you know, they redid the design. Mm-hmm. This ad campaign is almost 25 years old, believe it or not. It's still, this came out in the early yeah. 2000s. Okay. 
where they came out with the Escalade, they re- restyled the sedan. Gave you the impression that, okay, we're no longer the slow-moving pretty car. Mm-hmm. That Now we have some muscle behind it. So you had, you had a couple of cars. And the Escalade is still hugely popular to this day. A lot of it had to do with this ad campaign that got everything going in the in the in the beginning. Yeah, and if you hear this song while you're driving, it's it's pretty hard not to push the accelerator. Absolutely, and I still can picture the the car speeding along the highway to the song. Some guy thumping his hands on the steering wheel mm-hmm. while he's driving. Yeah, sure. All right, so that was my number two. That was uh, Rock and Roll by Led Zeppelin for Cadillac. And my number one, I think Sean and I are, are going to agree on this one. To me, this was probably one of the one. Well, let me do the honorable mention. Yeah, sure. First. Let's go down to that. So I only I have two more. I already did the Beach Boys and Good Vibrations. That was for Sunkissed because Sunkissed has given me excitations, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. So the the next one is an ad campaign that I don't think anybody, any normal, regular average person was expecting to see an ad campaign like this. And we're talking probably around 1988, 1989 and the California raisins. Oh, you got one. You got, you picked one off my list. The California raisins. They were say, how can we, how can we promote our product? (laughs) So they came up with this, these singing, dancing raisins. Yeah. And it became kind of a phenomenon. Not only did the, the ad campaign do extremely well for California Raisins, but the characters in the commercial sort of became little little stars themselves. I mean, you could buy one of these little things as a stuffed animal. I, I used to work at the Park City Mall, and there was a store a couple doors down from where we were, and they sold these things. It was the California Raisins, and you could just get the stuffed animal. Mm-hmm. Or you could get the battery-operated one, push the button, and he would sing and do the mechanical dancing at the same time. So, yeah, from my research, I have down here that this campaign ran from 1986 to 1994. Okay. And the only reason it shut down was because the organization that would that the uh, the California raisin growers were going through. Uh, that was paying for the the campaign. They basically went out of business. Okay. And so it, it shut down the campaign. It, in many ways, the campaign or the, the the singing raisins became more popular than actually you know buying and eating raisins. Right. You know, it's interesting because you played the Marvin Gaye version of it. Mm-hmm. I actually have on my playlist the California Raisins version of it. Okay. They have a full album. Uh, the California Raisins. <laughs> they, they recorded a full okay. album under the name The California Raisins. But uh, I Heard It Through the Grapevine is an incredible song. Sure. It's actually been remade a couple of times. Creedence Clearwater Revival did a version of it. Gladys Knight and the Pips did it, which was much faster. Uh, the CCR version was a little bit more country rock. And then the Gladys Knight and the Pips, that was up-tempo R&B. And each one is really good in their own unique way, which I always think is is a cool thing about music in that you can take the same song mm-hmm. and it's an artist interpretation where they could take the lyrics and the basic melody and yet make something that's uniquely their own. Right. Yeah. And, so. and, and that probably of everything you played so far is the most identifiable song with a commercial. Well, 
I might debate that with the next one, with right. my next honorable Of what you played so far. Yes. Yeah. So next on my list is, to me, if there was ever a commercial that uh, redefined a brand, it might be this one here. And I'm talking about... Oh, see, now you got another one off my list. Yeah. Yeah. And we're talking about Nike. Yeah. Whoever came up with this idea is beyond brilliant. It It did so many things to, I think, Gen X. Before, not only for tying in, because we, growing up, all of the people that were older than us always told us how cool the Beatles were. Right. And I remember having an argument with my boss at that same store in Park City because he used to tell me, Scott, the Beatles are the best, greatest group of all time. And I'm like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> I got the new Poison album. And it, and he just looked at me and go, you are you're crazy. The Beatles are the best group of all time. End of story. And I remember the Beatles, I always thought Beatles was kind of older music until I heard this song. And I was not somebody that was necessarily uh, directly exposed to a lot of Beatles music. I just remember that there was a DJ here in Lancaster on our local radio station, which was called FM 97, and his name is Dave Diamond. And Dave used to do this weekend oldie show. He would broadcast live from Garfields at the Eden Resort or something like that, and he would play, uh, he would do like two, three hours of a lot of 60s music, and you would hear a lot of Beatles, but he would go really far back in the Beatles catalog and play a lot of their early stuff like twist and shout mm-hmm. please please me that that you know the kind of the doo-wop kind of music that mm-hmm. that the beatles did this was a little bit further down um and it showed that the beatles were and could be a rock and roll band when they wanted to be and to tie that in with nike it just took nike and i worked in a sporting goods store when this commercial came out and this was 1988 is this, when this, this would have been out. 1989 okay and just the sales alone uh, was almost overnight. It was like almost within, you know, a week or two. Now, probably the, the, the one thing that everybody Nike wanted to buy were Jordans. Sure. Because Michael's in the commercial. Right. And, and Michael, uh, Air Jordans, that was the flagship product for Nike. But you also had these other guys coming in, Nike, with, with kind of an attitude. You had Bo Jackson. You got Andre Agassi, mm-hmm. and Andre Agassi was a big part of Nike in those days. Sure, he was, and so was Bo Jackson because mm-hmm. Bo Jackson was the yeah, first the one to come out with the cross trainers. Sure, but I'm telling you, when actually those... I went into your store and bought those Bo Jackson cross Did trainers you? from you. <laughs> yeah, it was a comfortable show. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, but those three guys were were so important, and then the, to on top of it, to tie in an ad campaign with the greatest musical group of all time was perfect it was just a perfect harmony well you know and and this was this was kind of a landmark ad campaign and you know with the beatles music and it was very controversial because at this point the you know michael jackson has purchased the beatles catalog correct and he is now right here with this is launching the for the first time now beatles music is going to start to be used in commercials and up until that point it had not 
Well, you you make an excellent point, and I think that a lot of these commercials were not necessarily owned by the artists that did the songs back right. in those days. Right. Publishing rights in early record deals were horrible for the artist. Mm-hmm. If you did not write the song, if you did not, if you were not the lyricist, a lot of times you didn't get a lot of money on the back end. And a lot of these publishing houses, and that's why Michael Jackson got into buying the Beatles catalog, not because Paul McCartney told him to buy the Beatles catalog, that's what Paul said. but Paul recommended for yeah. Michael to get into music publishing, buying sure. publishing rights. Right. So what is the first thing Michael does is he goes out and spends, outbids Paul McCartney for the Beatles catalog. And then he turns around and sells it. You know, No, it doesn't sell the catalog, but he sells the right to use the song in this incredibly popular Nike ad and really makes a lot of his money back. He does, yeah. So that was uh, Nike and Revolution by the Beatles. So that takes us to number one. And I'm so glad that we did tie Michael Jackson into that part of the conversation because he is my number one. Mm-hmm. And I think probably the biggest ad campaign of at least my middle childhood which was the Pepsi, uh, Michael Jackson, and the Jacksons, not the Jackson 5, but the Jacksons, with their world tour as they were getting ready. And this was the very infamous Pepsi commercial where Michael, his hair caught on fire, and he suffered some pretty uh, severe burns. But it was a series of different commercials. But like I said, my, the one I like the most, the one I remember, is where he and Alfonso are, are dancing out in the street. Dancing on the street, yes. yeah. The one that I'm referring to is there where they're in concert. Right. And the scene, the setting is he's at the top of the stage walking. As he's beginning to walk down the steps, there's an explosion. Mm-hmm. Well, when they filmed it, the explosion actually burned his scalp. Right. Now, of course, he, he does change the lyrics for the commercial. I mean, he sings about Pepsi. I mean, and it's the same beat. It's the same music uh, of Billie Jean. Join the Pepsi generation. Mm-hmm. That was the... The theme for Pepsi was the taste of a new generation, and they really put a lot of money into that. I mean, they hired some big guns to promote their products. I remember the the narration was Martin Sheen. He was the voice of you know Pepsi, a new generation. So they were they were bringing in big actors. They were bringing in musical acts. They had wanted to get Madonna, and they signed her to a big contract, but then they dropped her because she released a, a controversial album in the late 80s with the um, Like a Prayer video. So she had signed a, like a $50 million deal with Pepsi that Pepsi ended up canceling because of the uh, the music video that came out. But Lionel Richie, he was part of the Pepsi um, family uh, in promotions. So they were really throwing some uh, uh, to try and get kids to... I, I know you're Coke. I am a Pepsi yeah. person. Right. And... They were trying to, you know, lure people away. And during this time, it was the closest that Pepsi ever came to overtaking Coke in terms of the uh, the number one sales in soda. Right, this is also right at the time that Coke decided to change their formula as well. But this this was when they were one and two, but then they were pretty close to each other, and a lot of it had to do with some pretty slick marketing. Oh, Pepsi did a, a much better job of marketing in the 80s. Now, I I did like Max Hedrum. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought he was funny. Uh, but I, you... I did have a Max Hedrum t-shirt. 
Okay. Hey, you did. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Max Headroom. Um, I got it free, so I didn't actually pay for it. Okay. Got it from Dave Diamond. <laughs> did you go to one of his events? I did not. He came to the Water Buggy oh, yeah, and, did right. a, and did a dance, dance party. Mm-hmm. So because I think only five or six people showed up. <laughs> <laughs> They had all these free promotional things to give so away. You got so you got a Max Headroom, I got a Max Headroom FM 97 t-shirt. So, I mean, that's really the only Coke campaign that I really remember. You know, I remember a little bit of, uh, you know, William the Refrigerator Perry drinking a Coke. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott's right. I mean, I, I definitely prefer Coke. I was, I, I really don't, you know, care for Pepsi. Um, but I, I, I'll give them their deal. They, they dominated the ads in the 1980s. Yeah, they absolutely did, and I think it was a, it was a good uh, slick ad campaign. And l- let's face it, sometimes bad publicity is still publicity. And the whole thing surrounding Michael Jackson and the accident brought the whole name Pepsi to the forefront even more. So, oh yeah, no, we we heard about that was major news when his his hair caught on fire. In fact, it's I mean spoofed and did Weird Al spoof that in one of his videos? Um, I know so. Neil Young, um, who was kind of an inspiration a little bit for what we're doing tonight, is because do you remember the song Neil Young came out with in the late '80s? It was called "This Notes for You." Okay. And and his line in the the song was he was he was angry because these artists were selling out, and instead of having jingles, they're actually putting their songs in there. And he's got this line: "I'm not singing for Pepsi and not singing for Coke," and he's you know something you know, makes you sound like a joke and. And the, uh, I can't play it because, of course, Neil Young refuses to let his music on Spotify. Okay. So I searched. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. There was a big deal where he refused to let it be used. So, you know, down to the end, Neil's, Neil's a holdout. And I don't agree with that. Um, I mean, I, I like that the artists have put this music in these, uh, these commercials. Cause I, you know, if I like a song, it, it's going to make me more likely to, uh, to purchase the product. Sure. And, for a lot of us Gen Xers, now that we're at the age where, you know, like for myself personally, my kids are grown, they're out of the house. I have a little bit more disposable income than I did years before when you're struggling to raise kids. So why not have ads that are going to draw my attention to, to what the, whatever product it is that they're trying to sell? I think, it, I think it's a good tool that, you know, companies still use to this day that will kind of get you out of that little hip mini hypnosis when your show goes to commercials. Sure, absolutely. So, okay, that's good. That, that closes out your list. Hello, everyone. Scott here from the Gen X Playback Show. As we are wrapping up the recording of part one of our episode on music and TV commercials, I want to wish everybody a happy Valentine's Day to all you Gen X lovebirds out there. And hope you're enjoying this episode so far. We're going to stop it here. So when we go into part two, Sean will be able to uh, jump right into his selections for his favorite and most memorable commercials, TV commercials that had uh, Gen X music involved in it. And again, we want to thank everybody for listening to Gen X Playback. Our family continues to grow a little bit more each week. So we really appreciate everybody tuning in week in and week out and just kind of helping us want to push the show a little further and keep going on with it. So thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week with part two 
uh, Sean's part in music in TV commercials, the Gen X version. Talk to you soon. Thanks. <laughs>